You're listening to Lights Out, where we'll talk about all things Formula One. From racecraft and strategy, to politics on and off the grid, and just about everything else in between. This is our call to the girls, gays, and theys who might have never considered themselves sporty, that now is the time to get into sports. Or at least this sport. And to the guys, welcome to the ladies' locker room. We're your hosts. I'm Kate. My name is Kennedy. And with that... Okay, Kennedy, I'm going to be really honest. Um, I'm recovering from my third round of strep. Uh, I have mono. I got my second COVID shot yesterday. And this race is really, it really was not the pick-me-up that I needed it to be. Yeah. Oh, Kate. (laughs) You and all your ailments. I'm so sorry. Just living my most sickly Victorian child life. And I... (laughs) really getting tired of it i know i said i like victorian shit but like this is not what i meant yeah i meant like spooky mansions Mm -hmm. and like lots of lace yeah (laughs) not (laughs) not constantly being ill but i guess i'll take what i'm given yeah uh portimao was our first boring race of the season Mm. wishing it came a little later but Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, for it to be the third race of the season, I was like, uh, oh, all right. Uh, <laughs> I Okay. I woke up a little early for this. Okay. Understand. <laughs> Get it. Like, I will say, thank God. I mean, I think we do have a Russian GP this season, which is always a boring race. But, like, at least the Portugal race had the generosity to start at 10 a.m. and be a boring race. Sure. As opposed to the Russian GP, which always starts at like, I don't know, five or six and then is still boring. But yeah, I, this race just gave me very like 2019, 2020 vibes. Yeah. I mean, we flagged this earlier in our our group chat. The disappointment was like, this race wasn't like this last year. So yeah, it was a letdown. Yeah, Portimao was a good race last year, and this year, I don't know if it's, like, they'd made, because of the changes to the track, in terms of, like, shortening the DRS zone, the the pit straight DRS zone or what, but Mm -hmm. it was just not a great race. So I guess, I don't know, do we want to talk about race winners and then work our way sort of backwards through the, uh, what little there is to discuss? Sure, I think that works. All right, Kennedy, do you want to hit us with uh, our top three finishers? Yep, let me just pull those up. (laughs) (laughs) Kennedy's like, I slept through that part. I, no, no, no. (laughs) I accidentally... Are you saying, are you, were you or were you not your father this Mm. week? And you turned the race on and watched them go and then woke up and they were done. You know, Mike and I have something in common now. I feel like (laughs) we have something we can talk to one another about and relate to. It was, (laughs) I I had a late night um, and I woke up early and... My body was too awake in the beginning of the race. And then by the end of the race, they're like, we're fine. That's fine. Um, However, when I did wake up, I immediately checked Instagram. (laughs) 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 Oh, Frank, hold on. Don't tell me. Let me discover this for myself. Yeah, just yes. just take a guess and like, who do I you mean, think I know, won? I know it was Lewis Hamilton, but I don't remember exactly what the the full podium sitters are. All right, <clears throat> team Lewis Hamilton, 
mm-hmm. took the top spot, which is fantastic. We love that for him. He did not get his 100th pole, but we love that for him. Yeah. Number two, Max Verstappen. You know, still here, still, you know, like beating out Botas. That's all that really matters. <laughs> Number three, always a bridesmaid, truly never a bride, Valtteri never. Botas. He, we had a glimmer in which he took first position, pole position in the grid to start the race. But that was a bright spot in this weekend that burned out very quickly for him. If anything, this week it feels like it was Valtteri's wedding and, like, Lewis got engaged at it, you know? <laughs> like, really just snatched all the attention. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, poor Valtteri's, like, standing there. He's like, uh, I'm still here, actually. And everyone's like, yeah, but Lewis, though. But like, Lewis, that's... we're so happy. <laughs> Lewis, we're so happy for you. We oh my knew God, it you're would glowing. always happen, but, oh. We're so glad it finally did. Um, and then, you know, rounding out the the Mercedes Red Bull lockout of the top four is Sergio Perez, the Mexican Tom Cruise. And, <laughs> and to be completely honest, I think, you know, Christian Horner has to be proud of that performance for them. Yeah, I think so. I think... Uh... Christian will probably be about as happy as he ever gets after this weekend. I will say, I was thinking about, we keep saying, and everyone keeps saying, the Red Bulls are the favorite, and they're the faster car, and etc. And they keep not really being able to deliver on that quite all of the way. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, Max won last week, but... Technically. Like... Yeah, like, Checo's still not really quite there. They're not, like, dominating the way that it feels like they should be. And I just don't know, like, is it their strategy is that lacking? Like, Mm. Mercedes is that much better at strategy? Or is Mercedes really doing that much to develop the car between races? Like, I'm just, it's, it's very weird, I would say if Mercedes is that good at strategy, what, why is Valtteri Bottas never there? That's like, true. That's, that's my question. I think I think Max is coming into his own when it comes to racing. Checo is a seasoned driver. Um, he's still relatively getting the lay of, of the car and, the, and, you know, the Red Bull team itself. But Lewis Hamilton is a skilled driver who's very comfortable in his seat, has had the team with him for years. And I think if strategy's here at play, it's it has to be a hand in hand with strategy and his skill set. I think mm-hmm. Max is getting there. He's just not there yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess I mean first of all, snaps to Valtteri for finishing the race this week. Mm-hmm. Snaps. Couldn't couldn't say that of, of last week. Um, <laughs> R.I.P. Uh, but yeah, it's. It's weird because, like, I feel like early on in the season and after, I mean, early, we're still, we're on the third race. <laughs> after Bahrain and after winter testing, it really looked like the midfield was so much closer to the front runners and the front runners were super close together and all of this stuff, like, like those advanced uh, regulation changes that they moved up from 2022 to this year. It really looked like those had, like, worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and now... 
I mean, we're only three races in, but it feels like we're really just kind of moving back to a lot of the same kind of performance we saw in 2020. I mean, definitely there's changes, mostly changes, I would say, amongst the midfield in terms of like teams that have really seemed to have gone backwards since last year. But I wondered if we should take a moment and think about or talk about the way that those the 2022 regulation changes and the regulation changes that took place prior to this season are impacting sort of the whole lay of the land for this season. Yeah, I think that's definitely worth examining. So um, due to COVID, you know, there were a bunch of changes that were originally supposed to be implemented in 2020. But financially, it did not make sense for um, Formula One to impose that on the teams themselves. I mean, the the teams weren't making any money, they weren't able to go racing. um, And financially, 2020 put a strain on Formula One as a whole. So they pushed back through changes to 2021. Some changes have been implemented in 2021, but a lot of changes are being implemented in 2022, which can result in things like Haas, for example, they decided to abandon all development for 2021 and put the work into 2022's car. And they're relatively at the back of the grid, right? But true midfield contenders... For example, the difference between McLaren and Racing Point now, Aston Martin, um, losing out on that third spot in the Constructors' Cup in 2020 resulted in a decreased amount of funding going into 2021 for the Aston Martin team, who they themselves have not been showing up as much. But McLaren arguably with Lando Norris has. Yeah, I think so. Definitely what we're seeing is there's a big difference at the beginning of the season when everybody had to make changes to accommodate the 2021 regulations. I think we saw everybody sort of backed up into each other in terms of performance. But what I think we're starting to see now and what I presume we will see for the next 20 races through the rest of this season is... Those teams that have enough money to develop, because essentially 2021 is going to be like an orphan year for development Mm -hmm. for every team, because there was enough change from last year that the 2020 cars did have to go through, especially for some teams, quite a bit of changes, while the 2022 cars will also have to be significantly different because there's a lot of much larger regulation changes coming. So 2021 is like an orphan year. So the teams with lots and lots of money are still spending and still developing cars. They're developing their cars this year, continuing to put money into factory time to continue to make advancements to make the car for this year faster and better. But like Kennedy said, for teams with less money and For all we know, also maybe teams just with less interest in developing a car this year. They are doing sort of minimal development of the 2021 car. So very minimal week-to-week updates and changes. And banking all of that money and all of that time in the factory in developing the car for 2022. So I think that to some degree looks at why we're seeing again this gap coming back between our front runners in the midfield, why they look so much further apart than they did in Bahrain. 
because, you know, Mercedes and Red Bull are always, they're like, for them, it's about every single point at this point. So they're going to be developing the 2021 car. But yeah, a lot of the midfield seems to be like, you know, their races with each other. And if they're all taking a little bit of a backseat in development, you know, it can potentially save them all money this year and give them a better chance for next year. Yeah, I think a lot of people are hinging their bets on 2022. But yeah, some other things, other things that we were paying attention to. Well, I'm jazzed our, as I'm now going to call him exclusively, our sweet boy, Georgie Russell, mm. had a wonderful qualifying. <laughs> he his really highest did. ever, His highest ever qualifying in a Williams car, P11, which... If, honestly, for Williams, it's like transcendental that you can even qualify in, in P11 with that vehicle. Um, Definitely seeing the benefit of of that sale from last year coming through. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, that partial sale to Mercedes, I think. Um, and that switch to a Mercedes power unit seems to have at least helped the Williams car. That being said, <laughs> great qualifying for, for good old George. Uh, race, mm. not really. Um, as they said in the world feed and what we've seen in the races so far is that Williams car that they've developed does seem to be like decent. It seems like a pretty decent car for qualifying in that when it's by itself, it's fairly fast and fairly reliable and et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's really bad at following other cars, mm-hmm. which when you usually start at the back of the grid is kind of an important trait to have yeah. is the ability to follow another car. So unfortunately, what we saw is, yeah, George qualifying in P11 and then finishing in, I think, P17. P17. 17. Yeah. So. Ooh, no, I'm sorry. <clears throat> I'm so sorry, George. P16. P16. Okay, that's what I'm so sorry to that man. (laughs) I'm sorry to this man. Uh, You know, it was not the fight for P17, it was the fight for P16. So the reason that the Williams car is so bad at following other cars is likely as a result of the way that they've developed the aerodynamics for it. When it's following behind another car and therefore is in the turbulent, dirty air coming off of the back of another car... It's super unreliable. It can't be, it's not consistent in terms of like what ability you'll have to make turns at like the place that you would want to be making the turn, like whether you'll lock up, et cetera, et cetera. And we saw it a little bit even with Nick Latifi when he was battling with Mick Schumacher Mm -hmm. for P17 that we saw, you know, lockups and other things happening because of that unreliability in the Williams. What I found interesting, speaking of like lockups and, you know, battles at the back of the grid, Antonio Giovinazzi and Kimi Raikkonen had a little scuffle at the beginning of the race, which resulted in a safety car. And the teams themselves, when talking about like bringing cars in and trying to change tires or, or, you know, do pit stops because a lot of races, they try to limit the number of pit stops they bring the cars into, hoping for one, sometimes it's two, but because of the safety car, which is something that didn't happen last year in Mm -hmm. Portugal, 
um, it threw their data off and they didn't know exactly when to bring the cars in to switch out their tires to give them pace from the medium tires to the soft tires or to the soft tires to the hard tires, which arguably the softer the tire, the faster it is, but the less time you have to be able to use them. The softer tires degrade quicker. So you have more traction because they're softer and therefore stickier to the track. They're faster usually, but because they're sticky to the track, you're losing more rubber every lap you make. So you have they you can't run them as long as a harder compound of tire. I would say that was definitely true. And I think one of the biggest losers of the um, pit strategy this week was definitely Carlos Sainz. Mm. <sighs> My poor Carlos. Um, started the race in P5 on a soft tire and actually overtook Sergio Perez on the opening lap, stayed ahead of the, him after the safety car restart. But they just, they pitted him pretty early from the softs onto mediums. And then he ran the medium tires for the rest of the race, which ended up everyone else behind him had pit onto a more, a lower degradation tire or had pitted much later. So he ended up in P11 because by the end of the race, he had no tire left. Mm. So yeah, definitely not the greatest week for Ferrari strategy. I would say they're driving their pace was okay i mean you know it was it was like midfield but it was like pretty decent but yeah the strategy was not there this week for them yeah i mean this race was was not as eventful as previous races or even seasons past but definitely looking forward to round four in uh barcelona 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 i do have a couple things i want to note though so Formula One commentary is something, you know, that we're attempting to do here on the pod, as <laughs> well as uh, we we have um, a big love for Will Buxton and the, the Sky F1 sports team. As, as producer show clutches her heart being like, oh, yes. But Daniel Kvyat, an Alpine mm. um, reserve driver, former AlphaTauri driver, uh, was seen doing some Formula One commentary alongside Will Buxton today. And to be completely honest, I think all those years of inane questions being asked of him gave him all the the practice he needed to turn it around and ask <laughs> his teammates. Yes, I think that, yeah, it was fun to see. It's It's also just fun, I think, to see the reserve drivers, like, get to do something in a weekend. Yeah. Um, reserve drivers for a team come to every race in case they are needed, in case a driver is injured or sick or whatever, something happens. And occasionally, though not super frequently, they get to drive the car maybe in free practice, a free practice session, so that the team can collect data and give the driver an opportunity to be in a Formula One car. But it doesn't happen often. So a lot of times these guys just like come to races and they're just sort of hanging out. Yeah, they're just kind of chilling. They're just like in the garage, like presumably in a trailer somewhere, because unless something happens to one of those regular drivers, they're really not needed to be there. Yep. Um, so I always think it's fun when like they're given, you know, they're allowed to have something to do other than just cool their heels. Right, exactly. And unlike, you know, this isn't, we're not in the, the true unknown throes of COVID 
like we were last year in which drivers like um, Nico Hulkenberg, who used to be a Formula One driver, he got called in pretty often to, to cover for other drivers. And yeah, they don't they don't do a lot. So. Well, I guess I would say also, actually, you bring you bring up a good point with COVID in that this last season, there was very little opportunity for reserve drivers to like do some anything else other than wait around because all of the teams were in very, very strict COVID bubbles last year. Right. Um, so you could not move between teams during a week and like, you know, you couldn't be like going to see other people if you were a member of a team's COVID bubble. Right. This year, I haven't seen like official, you know, rules and regs in terms of the COVID bubbles for this year, but they seem a little bit, they seem less intense. I know that some drivers have gotten reprimanded for COVID bubble infractions off track, both this season and last season in terms of like, you know, they're like going to dinners and shit. But it does seem that this season is a little bit less intense in terms of, you know, as as many countries continue to move towards vaccination. And though we don't have it confirmed, obviously, my guess would be that every single one of those drivers has been vaccinated. It seems to be less intense. So it gives more opportunity for the reserve drivers to potentially like be going to do other things this year. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. The only other thing really that happened in this sort of non-event of a race that I found interesting, that I found particularly interesting, I guess I would say, I was pretty impressed actually by uh, Alpine this week, Hmm. particularly I would say by Fernando Alonso, who has not performed well in the first uh, two rounds of the championship this year, but both he and Esteban Ocon in this race, I think they finished like P6 and P7 or P7 and P8 or something. And given that the Alpine cars were not, <laughs> did not seem to be super competitive, I was pretty impressed by how high up they finished, particularly I think Alonso uh, qualified in P17. So to make up, you know, 10 places over the course of the race, I was impressed by. Yeah, I was sad that at least one of them came um, at the cost of Carlos, but you know, what can you do? Yeah. Now, I mean, finishing seventh and eighth, like that's pretty impressive. All right. So let's get down to this. So this week in racing there, um, there were a couple things to note. Uh, yeah, well, mainly just kind of one thing. An update as from our last recap episode in which we discussed the state of the Canadian Grand Prix. The Canadian Grand Prix officially um, will not be happening. And instead, that date is being replaced with the Turkish Grand Prix, which we visited that track late last November. So it's great to, to see it on the lineup once more. However, this is kind of a bummer for uh, Canadian drivers like Lance Stroll and Nicholas Latifi, who, you know, for two years now, they haven't been able to have a home Grand Prix. They haven't been able to just, you know, go see their family, their friends, greet fans that, you know, know and love them. Um, So that is a bit disappointing, but thankfully we are able to still fill that slot with another location. So we're not having a gap in the schedule. Canada is just taking all precautions and measures when it comes to fighting the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, Can I tell you a fun fact about our Canadian drivers that 
probably we I mean, well, we might want to put it in the podcast, but I just found it out and I thought it was interesting. <laughs> okay. So I know for Lance Stroll, and I assume the same is true for Nick Latifi, that in fact, because of the way that Canada as a country has divested from like Formula One, the sport, that in fact, Lance Stroll, though a Canadian citizen, actually holds a U.S. racing license. Nuh-uh. Mm-hmm. And they, but they let him, you know, be, they let him race under a Canadian flag in terms of everywhere that, that they identify nationality. But technically, I think both he and Nick Latifi actually hold U.S. super licenses. Wow. That's insane. But only because, but only because of this weird relationship that Canada has with motorsport and with the FIA but I read that and I like I don't know I felt so scandalized by it I was like excuse me yeah like what yeah it just kind of shook me a little bit it was just weird it's just weird because you know it's to some degree like an ongoing topic of conversation that there are no U.S. Formula One drivers Mm. Will Buxton did a video last week on why All of the, you know, there's lots of American racing, including IndyCar, and there's lots of very good IndyCar drivers, almost or largely all American because IndyCar is U.S. racing. Um, And he just did a video on why you're not going to see anyone from IndyCar in F1 anytime soon. And I almost felt scandalized by that, having at that point the knowledge that technically Nick Latifi and Lance Stroll had these U.S. racing licenses. I was like, this is just dark-sided. Give them Canadian racing licenses. They're, like, so proudly Canadian, too. Huh. I know. Interesting. Like, they must must be so salty, because they are both... It's, like, a big part of both of their personas that they are Canadians. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, you said IndyCar, and that just made me... uh, (laughs) That just made me think of um, Roman Grosjean. So, Roman Grosjean, former Haas driver, an American racing team. He's not American. He's French. Um, he, since leaving the Formula One sport at the end of last year, um, has come to the States and is now doing IndyCar racing. Um, and I just, I think it was like two weeks ago or something. I sent you guys a photo of him and I'm like, did he bulk up? Like, is he like a a beefy man? He's like ripped now. It was like, he was like paddle boarding or surfing maybe. Yeah. Yeah. He's like fucking Stacked. Like, I was like, what? Roman, what is... The other thing that was so funny is that photo came amidst a series of photos he was posting about, like, that... I don't know if this is, like, true... Like, if he was on a vacation or if truly... Basically, he this man is in this fancy RV. Mm. Just, like, roaming America. He's touring seems. the country. Just touring the U.S. Like, his kids and his wife are there. and the, But the way he was posting about it, it, like... Just seemed like that's where he was, like, living legitimately. Probably. And, like, but the thing, I was, like, Roman, do you have to drive? Like, I think he was driving his own RV. I was, like, are you driving your own RV, like, <laughs> from race to race? I was, like, he was just the weirdest. I was, like, what is going on? Like, I don't follow IndyCar, but it almost made me feel like I need to, like, look more into it and understand, like, <laughs> what is going on with American racing? Why is it so, like, bootleg? I kind of I kind of love it. I kind of love that, like, I mean, 
I will say, like, the, the it is very, we have a big country. Um, but I kind of love that he, you know, went from such, like, an elite, very, very sophisticated mode of travel when it came to Formula One uh, to, you know, just, like, getting back to the roots and, <laughs> and just, like, probably back to the days of when he used to do karting and, you know, going around mm-hmm. to different countries and traveling and doing that kind of thing. It might be a very, like, interesting experience. Very grounding experience. <laughs> I want to see Roban Grosjean's YouTube channel tour of his Sprinter van. Yeah, I want the I want the MTV Cribs tour of the <laughs> RV. I want to see Roman driving it. Can you imagine being on, like, you're, like, on I-25 or, like, Route 66 or something in the U.S. And there's just, like, an RV, like, steaming up alongside In, like, Iowa you, or like, something. Ready to pass you. Yeah, like, in the middle of Iowa. You just look over and it's fucking bulked up Roman Grosjean driving it. You're like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. I love it. Should we discuss, shall we discuss, social media star of the week? Yes, I think we shall. Social media star of the week is different this week. Kendi, do you want to give our audience a little bit of insight into why we are shaking it up this week? Sure. So um, actually, this is this did not start in Formula One. This actually started in football or soccer as a result of Terry Henry, who is and former Arsenal forward football player, soccer if you're in the States, uh, he deleted his social media profiles about five weeks ago as a result of online hate and abuse and racist abuse aimed at black footballers. And many different sports have decided to show their support for him by participating in a social media blackout which began at 3 p.m. on Friday, April 30th, and, and will end at 11.59 British Standard Time on Monday, May 3rd. The hope is that by going dark on all social media profiles for prominent, well-known athletes, that it would have an impact and you know get the message across that this is not okay. Online hate and racist abuse of any kind is not okay. And And Henry even said, Terry Henry even said, you know, Hopefully, even the little impact with the strength of a pack will be seen. And I am hoping that this, you know, has a lasting impact in how people comment on other people's lives and trying to make social media platforms, which is where a lot of athletes have one-on-one access to their fans and they have huge audiences that they're a safe space for them to be part of. The purpose, or at least one of the stated purposes of the overall weekend of social media blackout, number one, to raise awareness about the issue of online hate and especially online racism. But it's also specifically been stated by Terry Henry himself that one of the goals is to force social media companies to more aggressively and more directly face this issue and actually meaningfully change their policies. So in addition to being an awareness effort, it is also the the goal is that social media, including Twitter and Instagram, I think most specifically were the ones that he had discussed and that Terry Henry himself has at least via representatives allegedly been in contact with on this issue to force them to do something more meaningful 
about the way that they regulate their users. You know, we talked a lot or and have been interested in inclusion in sports. We've been talking about it in the realm of motorsport, but, you know, across all kinds of athletics, inclusion and anti-racism was a conversation that has been certainly present in many sports for a long time, but was very much highlighted last year with the ongoing protests against racial injustice in particular. So this was something Kennedy and I thought was really important to cover and that we wanted to talk about on the podcast. You know, lots of lots of sports are participating in this blackout, F1 included, with somewhat of an asterisk on that. I believe all of the drivers yeah. who have personal social media are all participating. So the drivers themselves are participating. A couple drivers don't have social media, like Sebastian Vettel doesn't does not use social media. The drivers themselves are participating. The teams are not. And F1 as a body is not participating. Some of the outlets which cover F1 are participating. So Sky Sports uh, being one, they cover F1. They also cover lots and lots of British and European athletics in general. So... It's certainly not being taken on by everybody. And it does make sense that the teams have less latitude to participate, given that, like, you know, they are coming up against the pressure of, like, they are still expected to deliver content about race weekend. Yeah, F1 themselves, they said that they're wholly committed to combating any form of discrimination online or otherwise. And they support the sporting bodies and athletes involved in the boycott. But they themselves, as in the F1 accounts, do not experience the same form of abuse online. Yeah, which I think is also likely why part of the reason of, of why the other brands being the teams are also not participating because the, the kind of abuse that a brand account is subject to is different than that that comes to a personal account. Certainly brand accounts, those social media managers do still see plenty of invective hurled against them in comment sections and elsewhere. And definitely, you know, there's a community management has to be done to keep hate and racism and other things out of out of their comment sections. But because it's not about the person running the account who owns the account, I think their relationship with the issue is different for sure. So with that being said, I feel like it was it's more important to highlight that boycott and you know the issue of racism and racist abuse specifically online in sports uh than to award anyone um a true social media star of this week yes i agree very much so so with that being said i think we have some really great things to look on to the horizon so we've got barcelona happening on may 9th definitely looking forward to seeing the results of of the boycott and you know the statements that are made beyond that especially from the drivers themselves and then what else do we have going on key well we have so we have the spanish gp next weekend Mm -hmm. then we have a bye week which we believe we will be coming to you with our first out of season special episode that weekend Mm -hmm. and then the weekend after that is the monaco gp The granddaddy of them all. The big daddy. The big 
the fanciest race of the year. It truly so, is. The glitz and the glam. <laughs> the glitz and the glam, at least until Miami next year, when we'll have a whole different flavor of glitz and glam, mm-hmm. but glitz and glam nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we've got a good three weeks of racing and racing related content coming towards you. So yeah, uh, was this slightly a little bit of a dud, dud week? Uh, yeah, yeah. Wasn't a great race. Wasn't a lot to be said about it. But yeah, we're going to be looking forward to these next couple races as we really start to get into the thick of things here um, throughout May and then really dive in deep. Buckle yourselves up because June, July, August in F1 is packed, packed, bonkers crazy. So we're ready for that. Very much hoping that this social media blackout and in general ongoing efforts about inclusion and anti-racism in athletics continues to be a part of the conversation. I think it's something that is really important to both of us and and something that we really care about within the sport. So looking forward to the progress in that. And otherwise, I think uh, I'm ready to go take a post-vaccine nap, maybe in the sunshine. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I, I, I just want to note something. So uh, sure. I've mentioned this before on the pod. I'm a big reader. Um, And it has recently come to my attention that there are Formula One romance novels. I literally can't believe that we don't own these and that I am not writing these as a career. (laughs) Someone sent one to me uh, this week and they're like, I think you should read this for the pod. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. But we I listen. Let it be known. We listen to audience requests. And do. if the audience requests read this Formula One romance novel on air, we will do so on air. But I'm I'm going to I'm going to give you a little taste of of it now by reading the synopsis for the audience and you can follow along on this journey. I'm so ready. All right. So this book. <clears throat> yes. Titled Throttled <laughs> by Lauren Asher. Part of the Dirty Air series, book one. It has four and a quarter stars on Amazon. Wow. If you're a Kindle Unlimited member, it's free. So, you know, take that for what you will. Do I have Kindle Unlimited? I might need to find out if I do. Description. What happens when my brother's rival becomes my secret crush? Noah Slade is a Formula One legend in the making. Focused, unapproachable, ruthless on and off the track. A man with walls higher than the Grand Canyon. And my brother's... Yes, metaphor, come through. And my brother's (laughs) new teammate, period. (laughs) I want to know more of the prince who disguises himself as the villain. But while I crave a happy ending, he wants to destroy his. (laughs) Maya is a forbidden temptation... An ambitious postgrad I should stay away from. And chaos wrapped with a bow. <gasps> We're a ticking time bomb. About one wrong move away from exploding. I want to trip the wire detonating together in a passion and pain. Because in the end, all's fair in lust and war. Throttled is a steamy standalone in the dirty world air. Dirty air world. <laughs> I'm sorry. They're just going to have to hear the siren in the background this time. Uh, <laughs> that's so the funniest thing I've ever heard. I absolutely. Yes, I will be reading this uh, novel without question. That's 
hilarious. The fanfic energy radiating <laughs> off of it is so powerful. What I want to know is a lot um, like Fifty Shades of Grey mm-hmm. started as a Twilight fanfic. I have no doubt in my mind that this book started as a fanfic about an actual driver. Oh, 100%. And, and it's going to become my passion to discover who <laughs> this book was originally about. Ooh, these reviews. Oh, my gosh. They spicy? They are spicy. So, everyone, follow along with the Lights Out uh, pod book club. Yeah. <laughs> this is our new book club. This is uh, our new we book will, club. We will exclusively be reading uh, writing of this uh, quality. So just know that. But yeah, everyone, tell us your favorite part of Throttled. Drop a comment somewhere. Which is your favorite ch- chapter? Oh. Uh, if oh and when God. we discover who it's written about, we will let you know. Because I'm dying to know. One I have a guess. But... One of these is Noah, is Noah, who's the lover love interest in this book noah is my book boyfriend oh my gosh i mean oh we love a bodice ripper but geez louise i am so my consider color me interested like i am i'm just like look i've read a fair few bodice rippers in my day i've never read a racing singlet ripper so i'm ready (laughs) oh my gosh all right all right well I well, that was a spectacular. <laughs> yeah, that was a good ending. I think I need to go find out if I have Kindle Unlimited because <laughs> I might have my afternoon plans uh, locked in now. I got to dive into the dirty air world. <laughs> <laughs> Catch us next time wearing our dirty air world t-shirts oh my while gosh. we record. If this is the guys, if this is good, well, we're putting a lot of pressure on this, but the, if this is good, <laughs> we might need to have this woman on the pod. One thousand percent. All right. One thousand percent. Yes. All right, guys. We'll catch you next time. Yeah. We'll catch you next time on the pod. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Lights Out.